It's good to be back with you. I'm happy we get to continue in this sermon series, Breaking the Silence. In this series, we are considering what can we glean. We're considering what we can glean from the Christmas story in regards to navigating winter seasons in our spiritual journey that are at some point sure to come. We've been talking about how these winter seasons have many variables, right? They can vary in length. They can vary in intensity. However, there is one thing that is consistent through all winter seasons, and that's that they are difficult. Winter seasons and our faith journey always include difficult circumstances that are hard to weather. For some people, their winter season is characterized by spiritual dryness. They're no longer passionate about their faith. The things that once moved them no longer do. The fire inside of them has been reduced to a barely burning ember, right? They have no drive to pray or engage with God through the scriptures. Going to church on Sunday morning is quite the drag. And serving in the church is way more of a duty than a delight. Other people's winter seasons are marked by disconnection, a sense of disconnection from God. God just seems silent. Or they try and engage with God. The passion's still there, but it seems like their prayers aren't reaching him. God feels distant. And yet for other people, their winter season is characterized by waiting. They believe God wants to do something through them, but it is taken forever. And they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And they identify with Joseph, who God promised to raised to a position of power and authority and leadership over his parents and brothers, but then he then went to prison for and was sold into slavery for 13 years. Other people would say that their winter season is characterized by conflict. It's conflict in their marriage, conflict in their family, conflict with one of their children, conflict at work, conflict in the church. And we could go on describing different winter seasons that people experience um, in their journey, in their faith. And we have been focused on what can the Christmas story tell us about navigating these seasons well. Because although they're all unique, they're all difficult. So that's the question that we have been asking What can anchor us when the storm is raging? What can anchor us when we're in the thick of the blizzard and our visibility is not even six feet? What can anchor us when we experience deep sorrow? What can keep us from going to a place of despair? What can help us so that the bitterness of the winter doesn't leave us bitter, but rather better. So far, we have uncovered two very important truths, 
within the Christmas story that can provide an anchor for our soul in the harshness of winter. The first truth is God is present, even if he feels distant and silent. He's listening. And so in our pain, our confusion, our discouragement, we can cry out to him. We should cry out to him because he is listening and he hears us. Secondly, as we cry out to him for help, he is already at work behind the scenes for our benefit. And so the second truth is God is working in our waiting. We may not be able to see it at the moment, right? But soon we will. There's a wonderful verse that sums up these two points that we have discovered, these two truths we've discovered in the Christmas story. It's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We are to humbly cast our cares on God. Why? Because he cares for us. Now look at what else this verse says. As we humbly cast our cares on God, he will exalt us in due time. You need to hear that this morning. In other words, at the right time, he will exalt you. He will raise you up. He will honor you. He will deliver you. God's time may not be your time, but it's always the right time. And until the time is right for God to exalt you, he is working in your waiting. He is planning and orchestrating your exaltation, your deliverance. And this leads us to another wonderful truth embedded within the Christmas story that can help us navigate winter seasons in our faith journey. Pray with me and we'll check it out. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are a wilderness shepherd. That in the midst of the craziness, you lead us beside still waters. You prepare a banquet before us in the presence of our enemies. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Protect us, guide us. Thank you that even in the midst of the fiercest storms, with you we can find green pasture. Thank you that when darkness surrounds us and we can't see the light, we don't have to fear no evil. We don't have to fear any evil. You are a great, mighty God who is mighty to save. Lord, I pray as we continue to look at the Christmas story, you would speak to us so that if anybody's here in a winter season, you would strengthen them and encourage them. And for those who a winter season's on their horizon, they don't even know it, that you would be anchoring them in you so that they'll be able to weather it well and, become out, and come out better for having gone through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the third truth embedded in the Christmas story that can anchor our soul in a winter season? It's this. We can expect unexpected goodness. 
we can expect unexpected goodness. As we cast our cares on the Lord, as we humbly cry out to him, as we trust that he is working in our waiting, that he is orchestrating our deliverance, our help, we should expect unexpected goodness in our waiting and in our deliverance. The Christmas story is a case in point. The Christmas story is full of all of this unexpected goodness in the most difficult circumstances. Let me share the unexpected goodness that we see in the Christmas story with you. So the unexpected goodness starts right away in the Christmas story with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. God takes this old couple who had been barren for years and he gives them a child. Unexpected goodness. He makes Zechariah mute so that Zechariah can know that his wife Elizabeth is really going to have a child. Hey, I see this as unexpected goodness. You know why? Because after that happened, you better believe Zechariah was convinced that what God had told them was true. Unexpected goodness, the gift of mutism. The baby inside Elizabeth would prepare for the arrival of God's promised king. Unexpected goodness. When Mary visited Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy, the Bible tells us. And joy filled uh, Elizabeth and, and the Holy Spirit filled her in that moment. Unexpected goodness. It really convinced Elizabeth that Mary's baby inside of her womb was the promised Messiah. Speaking of Mary, she received the unexpected goodness of caring, delivering, and raising the one true king of the world in the midst of Caesar's kingdom. This is what Elizabeth told Mary during the visit in Luke 1, 42 through 45. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. By, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my prayers, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. In response to the unexpected goodness that Mary had received in God choosing her to carry the the true king of the world, and in response to the encouragement that Mary received from Elizabeth, this unexpected goodness, Mary responded and proclaimed in Luke 1, 46 through 55, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Are we doing that 2,000 years later? We are. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, which includes our generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Unexpected goodness. How about Joseph? Jesus' earthly father experienced the unexpected goodness of an angel visiting him to tell him that God really did place this child inside of Mary. When Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and there was no place for them to stay, they experienced the unexpected goodness of God providing for them a place where Mary could safely deliver Jesus. How about the shepherds? They were considered the riffraff of society. They were outcasts. They were dirty, smelly, stinky. They were on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. And yet, they were among the first (laughs) to hear about the promised king that he had arrived. And they had this amazing experience out in the fields at night with one of God's angels. And they were one of the first to see the newborn king with their own eyes. And they became some of the first evangelists. Unexpected goodness. How about the wise men? They came to to Bethlehem from afar. They were able to see with their own eyes the newborn king. And they gave Mary and Joseph the unexpected goodness of the gifts that they brought. And then God spoke to Joseph in a dream. and 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 God told Joseph, hey, take Jesus to Egypt because crazy King Herod is looking to kill Jesus. God's warning was unexpected goodness. How about Simeon and Anna? They were in the temple, right? After Jesus had been born, Joseph and Mary, they take Jesus to dedicate him in the temple at Jerusalem. Simeon Simeon and Anna, they were able to see the newborn king, this one that they had been praying for and fasting for for so long. Unexpected goodness. The Christmas story is full of one occurrence of unexpected goodness after another. However, the unexpected goodness that the Christmas story led to was the greatest of all. You see, we know from what the Christmas story shows us that God's people were expecting good and here's what the good, they were expecting the good of being free from Roman rule and oppression. They were expecting the good of the nation of Israel being restored and becoming a great nation once again. That was the good they were expecting. That was the good that they were praying for. This is what they believed the promised king, the Messiah, would come and do. He would be a military leader. He would lead a military revolt. And he would conquer the oppressive Romans. He would reclaim the land for the Jewish people and restore the nation of Israel. 
the comments of the individuals that, are, that were there in that first Christmas story reveal that this was the goodness they were expecting. I look at the words of Zechariah in Luke 1, 68 through 71. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. They're expecting liberation, right, from Rome. How about Anna after she saw baby Jesus in the temple? She uh, spoke this about Jesus in Luke 2.38. She said, all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem, and she she was talking about what Jesus was doing and that, yeah, so they were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. How about Luke 2.25? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Why did King Herod want to kill baby Jesus? Because Jesus was a threat to his throne, and Herod thought that he would be this sort of earthly king that would set up his rule and reign and get rid of Herod and all of this. But here's why I tell you all this. The goodness God brought was unexpected. It was different than what God's people thought it was going to be. It was embedded within the Christmas story, but God's people overlooked it. God would produce an unexpected goodness greater than Jesus coming as a military leader, conquering the Romans, and setting up Israel as a nation again. He would give them a greater grace. He would come and he would give them a freedom from a greater tyrant than Rome. Here's what he did. God was going to use Jesus to save his people from the unforgiven sin that kept them captive to the greatest tyrant of all, Satan and death. Like I said, it was there in the Christmas story, this greater unexpected goodness that God would bring through Jesus was explicitly stated in the angel's words to Joseph. Matthew 1, 20 and 21, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Look, it was also expli- explicitly stated in Zechariah's prophecy, Luke 1, 76 and 79, through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's the thing. This is the truth. This is so critical. If Jesus on that first Christmas came as a roaring lion to devour all evil, He would have had to have devoured not just the wicked Romans. He would have had to devour his own people. Why? (laughs) 
And, and there would be absolutely no one left standing. The reason is because everyone had sinned. Everyone had fallen short of God's glorious standards for living. And so on that first Christmas, Jesus came not as a conquering king, but he came as a lamb instead of a lion. He came to suffer and to die so that God's people's sins and the Romans' people's sins could be forgiven. So that they could be reconciled to God. So that they could enter his light and receive the gift of eternal life. So that they could have abundant life now and forever. And so one day, Jesus could come back as a conquering king and a roaring lion and destroy evil without destroying them. To put it more succinctly, Jesus' arrival as a lamb made it possible for him to one day return as a lion to destroy all evil and suffering without destroying us. Thank God for that unexpected goodness at that first Christmas. Thank God he didn't come, Jesus, as a military leader just to free the Jewish people from Roman oppression. No, his goodness went so much deeper. His grace went so much deeper in this unexpected way to free people from Satan, sin, and death, the ultimate enemy, the enemy that's behind the Roman regime and all other oppressive regimes. That's what we need salvation from. And those that turn to Jesus as their Savior and Lord through repentance and faith, they were able to receive this unexpected goodness. And although they were still in bondage to the Roman Empire, they were no longer in bondage to their sin. They were no longer cut off from God. They were adopted into God's family, made a new creation, given the gift of the Holy Spirit, a new freedom given to them to say no to sin and to say yes to God in obedience to Christ. The result? God changed the world through these individuals. The result is generation after generation after generation, people experience this deep this deeper goodness, this deeper work of rescue from sin. And it got passed on and on, and it's reached us 2,000 years later. And that is why today we are, are here. It's a miracle. And it's all because of that unexpected goodness that God brought through Jesus on that first Christmas that we have a Christmas to celebrate here in 2019. The Christmas story is soaking wet with God bringing about unexpected goodness in the most difficult circumstances. And then if you combine that with the rest of the, the story in the Bible, it's one story after another of God bringing about unexpected goodness. It's littered with these stories. God using unlikely people and places and circumstances on people's faith journey to bring about unexpected goodness. And because it's so prevalent in the Christmas story and because it's so prevalent in the whole Bible, you, in your winter season, should expect unexpected goodness. 
you should anticipate it. Expect that as you journey through the winter, God will provide unexpected goodness that will sustain you and that will eventually deliver you. And guess what? It's probably going to be through unlikely people, unlikely places, and unlikely circumstances. I also want you to know that when when winter, your winter season finally ends, spring might look differently than what you thought it would look like. It looked different for God's people. But also know that if the spring looks different than what you thought it would look like, different than what you expected it to look like, God is giving you something greater than what you had hoped for. He may not free you from Rome. Why? Because he wants to do a deeper, better work in your life and free you from something greater. In other words, he may not change your circumstances because he wants to use those horrible circumstances to change you. He wants to use those circumstances to give you a greater grace to do a deeper work. The goodness you might be expecting God to bring might be the relief of chronic pain, but God might want to give you a deeper healing, a healing of the heart. And he's using your chronic pain to drive you to total dependence on him. You might be praying for your wayward child to return home, but God is allowing your child to continue in his or her downward spiral so that his power to save will shine all the more brightly in your child's life. And through it, God may be breaking you of your desire for control. Like Paul, he may not remove the thorn from your life that you desperately want him to remove so that his power can be on full display in your weakness. And maybe he's allowing you to still have that thorn because he knows if he removes it, you're going to head right down on that path of pride and self-reliance. Start looking for God's unexpected goodness in your winter season. Once you do, it's amazing how much of it you will find as you start looking for it. In this series, we've been... um, giving people, we've been uh, having people share each Sunday because we want to give you real life examples of how what we're preaching on actually holds water. Like this stuff is true. And this unexpected goodness that God brought 2,000 years ago, he's still doing this in people's lives today. The video you're about to watch in a moment was taken from the Catalyst Conference that Mary, Blaine, Kevin, and Lori Hewitt and I attended a couple months ago. And out of all the fantastic speakers that spoke at this conference, it was this woman and her story that just impacted me the most. The woman, the woman that you'll hear share, 
She uh, went through the genocide that took place in Rwanda back in 1994, in which, listen to this, over 800,000 people were murdered, killed in 100 days. Over 800. In 100, just 100 days. She lived through it all. Let's check her story out. And I want you to keep your ear out for God's unexpected goodness. Our special guest today, Denise Uimana. She is a survivor of the genocide in her book, From Red Earth. In this book, she bears witness to everything she went through, but also to the testimony of forgiveness and healing. Denise, she lost her husband. She lost most of her family members to the genocide. Her husband's remains still have not been found. But even beyond this, Denise bore the incredible burden of being nine months pregnant on the very day that the Hutu militants arrived in her town and in her home. She went into labor and birthed their third son while surrounded by the blood and the bodies of her slaughtered family members. And while Hutu militants actively pursued her to kill her. Her story is painful and convicting, but her story like that of Rwanda as a whole, if you stay in this moment with us, you'll see that it is beautiful and that it points to Jesus because Jesus is the one who is coming, who is here, who is making all things new. Please help me in welcoming Denise. Thank you. Denise, thank you so much for being here in this room. And I know that just to start off, you have a beautiful photo to share with us. Can you tell us about this photo? Yes, it is my youngest son, grâce de Dieu, the grace of God, the one who was born during the genocide. And he just had uh, his wedding in Ohio. Yeah. Just last weekend. Last, uh, last weekend, the killers who attacked me called him, asked him to give the name Rusigajiki, that means the death has finished everything, nothing is left. Then I, I got the courage to tell to the killer, no, I cannot give such name to my child. Mm -hmm. Why? I am a Christian. And so the name that you gave to him instead was? I gave him grace of God, grâce de Dieu. Yes, the grace of God. Yeah. These conversations that you had with the killers pursuing you, with your newborn baby, and, and the aftermath of your survival, finding out about so many people you had lost, it profoundly shaped the, who, who you believe God to be and how you talked with him. Um, and I'd love for you to share with us some of what your conversations with God were like in the genocide and in the aftermath, and how did you even get to a place where you could forgive? I was 
was born in a Christian family. I was a Christian before, during, and after. And when the killers attacked my home, well, 10 people in the house, we spoke our last prayer. And when they arrived in my house, I fled in the bathroom. I carried my second son on the back, on my backside. Then I struggled with God. Inner struggle. I told God, you failed me. Why you never tell me the truth that I will be killed, I will die. You promised me you will protect me, but I don't have any chance how you will protect me. I have a reason to do say that. If you read my book, you will see the details. But when I finished all my struggling, I lost all my fear. I was ready to be killed. They faced me. Instead to kill me, they started dialogue with me. It's a long story. 100 days, I was victim to be killed. And during the genocide, I told to God, if you let me alive, mm -hmm. I will say that there is God and then a mighty God. Why say that? I was thinking there is no more God. And if there is God, is only on the side of Hutu. Why we are being killed, no one says stop. But I said to God, I will encourage people to trust in you. Mm -hmm. He did it. But when I survived, I was deeply traumatized. Yeah. I became a widow. Many younger widow, orphans. Many were raped, as Bethany said. And then I struggled with God. And I accused him. And then he told me, Denise, you survived by grace. Gave chance to people to know that I am God, to know that they have done wrong things. They should repent. I said, no, there are no more law, no, no, more, no more people. So I struggled with hate, of thought of revenge. And he said, do, do, uh, do not do evil. Overcome evil by doing good. And I heard the voice talking to me. I prayed, I cried, I fasted to get again strength and to have a communication again with, with Jesus. And then I came to the point, I got a, a word of Acts chapter, chapter 26, verses 16 to 18 said, stand up, I'm sending uh, to, I'm standing you, you will be my servant, you witness what you have seen and what I'm going to show you. You help people to get out from darkness to the light to open their eyes so it was clear. Yeah. And I met the killers. They did not come to me, but I make a step to them with, with the help of the leader. He welcomed them, and we came to the point of forgiveness. Mm. When I gave, I told them, I'll forgive you. And one woman didn't, who did not expect such a grace, she said, she cried, oh, Denise forgives us like Jesus on the cross. But forgiveness does not mean I forget, but resentment, uh, I do not have any more resentment. Yeah. So forgiveness is a battle of every day. I said, no, I forgive every day. Forgiveness, maybe you are not more, you for you, you are not in the war as in Rwanda, but forgiveness at home, at school, 
in family, society. So forgiveness is very important. Yes. Amen. Mm. Amen. Denise has made it her life mission to serve those who were widowed and orphaned by the genocide and to continue to forge healing and forgiveness by the power of Jesus Christ between Hutu and Tutsi for there to no longer be any division. And you know, back in 1994, after the immediate aftermath of the genocide, Gary Haugen, who's now the, uh, the founder and CEO of International Justice Mission, back then he was actually the chief investigator of the, the genocide in Rwanda. And so he went and he stood in the mass graves and he counted bodies one by one and he documented the humanity of every single person who had been killed. And as he was doing that, he felt this temptation to ask, you know, where was God in the genocide? And some people talk about it just seemed like God just completely left Rwanda for those hundred days. But as Gary stood there, he realized, no, the question is actually, where were God's people? And Denise, you lived through that. You lived through the silence and the total inaction of the world and of the church in particular. Mm -hmm. What do you wish that God's people had done? First, uh, you should know that the genocide in Rwanda did not uh, come Suddenly, it was long prepared. It was long prepared. That what succeeded. Unfortunately, the church was involved. Christians were involved. Pastors were involved. My pastor even left the church and they fled with killers. You can imagine how I was confused in my faith with Jesus. And then, um, so, church should know the true identity they, they have eh, with Jesus. Church, you should know that Jesus is the head of the church. Yes. So get courage to oppose all yes. this kind of ideology. So the world need you, church. Need you individual as a, first as a person to fight against the evil. So we are a solution of, of the world of today. This I can tell you, uh, so that you get courage to oppose all discriminations, to support yes. widows and mm -hmm. orphans. Yes. This is the way. Yes. It's written the Bible. It's written yes. in James chapter 1, verse 27. So this yes. shortly can say. Amen. What a story of God's unexpected goodness as he is working to bring reconciliation and healing and people to him in Rwanda. Um, it's, it's just amazing. I am 80% through her book, my Kindle tells me at the bottom. Um, and I would encourage you, if you want to know more about her story, to pick up the book. There's so much more to it. And God's unexpected goodness in those 100 days to sustain her, like there was just one story after another. If God can bring about unexpected goodness from that, I think he can do it in your winter season. I think he can do it in your winter season. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you were not only Lord 2,000 years ago, but you're still Lord today, and you will always be Lord, and that means you are always working. 
you are always creating unexpected goodness, goodness that heals deeper, that goes further, that goes wider. Lord, I am asking that these individuals here today, especially if they're in a winter season, that they would expect unexpected goodness, that they would look for it. And when they see it, they would trace the gift to you, the giver. Lord, I am also praying that if there are people here this morning that are not in a winter season, maybe you want to use them to be somebody else's unexpected goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would prompt their heart to look around and see who's in their life that might be in a pit that they need to reach out their hand uh, to to help see to help them to partner with you to see them come out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.